I deliberated a little bit as to where we're going to be looking for our scripture passage tonight, and as I thought about uh, where we are and even our, our meeting that we're going to be um, having immediately following our service, I wanted to draw your attention to a passage of scripture that speaks about the people that God uses. So turn with me in your Bibles tonight to Nehemiah chapter 11. Nehemiah chapter 11, and we'll be looking at a few verses from chapter 11 and chapter 12 here in Nehemiah in a sermon that I've titled, The People God Uses. The People God Uses. Nehemiah chapters 11 and 12 tonight. This evening, uh, we will be taking care of a few matters of business as we have begun our new fiscal year here at Latham Bible Baptist Church. And with that comes the voting in of new school board members and new deacons. And it's an important matter of business, but I, what I don't want you to lose sight of is the fact that you don't have to be a member of a board or a member of a committee in order for you to be used by God here in church. There is so much work to be done in this church, far more than can ever be done by the deacons or school board members or Sunday school teachers or youth leaders or even pastors. Every one of us are important, certainly, in the life of this ministry, but we have to make sure that we're making ourselves available to be used by God. God knows your abilities. God is also aware of any physical limitations you may have. He is aware of what you are capable of, and he expects you to use what he's given you for his glory in this church. So with our time tonight, I'd like to draw your attention here to the book of Nehemiah and to look at the people that God used specifically here to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. At the point of where we find ourselves uh, in, in the process in which the remnant has returned to Jerusalem, the temple has been rebuilt, but the wall, or actually, and, and the wall has actually uh, been rebuilt as well uh, at this point. It happened, it was finished back in Nehemiah chapter 7. And we get an idea as to who was there and who was working in the process. So with your Bibles open, I want to read. Uh, the first three verses here in Nehemiah chapter 11. So follow along as I read Nehemiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. And the rulers of the people dwelt at Jerusalem. The rest of the people also cast lots to bring one of ten to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city, and nine parts to dwell in other cities. And the people blessed all the men that willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. Now these are the chief of the province that dwell in Jerusalem, but in the cities of Judah dwelt every one in his possession in their cities, to wit Israel, the priests, and the Levites, and the Nethanims, and the children of Solomon's servants. Even though we've only read so far the first three verses of chapter 11, our passage that we're going to be looking at is going to go all, th all the way through the, really, verse 26 of chapter 12. So what is all contained in these two chapters? was if you take a quick glance at chapter 11 and even chapter 12, you probably, what probably jumps out at you first is a long list of names. They're kind of divided into different categories, but there are lists of names, lists of different individuals that were there, and they were, they're, they're broken down into where they were and in what ways they were serving. And what I like about it is that 
majority of the names that you'll read are names that you probably haven't heard before. These are ordinary, everyday people. I don't know anybody like that, do you? The fact is, every one of us are just a group of plain, ordinary, everyday people. If someone was to find our membership role here at Latham Bible Baptist Church, a hundred years from now, should the Lord tarry, are they going to remember the name of Bob Cole? Well, they might remember your name, Bob. Are they going to remember the name of David Kettlewood? hundred years from now, they'll go through the list of all those that were members back in 2023, and they'll see the list of names that are there, and maybe there'll be a name or two that sticks out, but probably the majority of our names, and this is nothing against any of us, but probably the majority of the names that they see a hundred years from now, as they're looking back, they're probably going to think, I have no clue who that person is, but they're on record of being a member at this church back in the year 2023. It's just a list of names. It might show that the year that the individual joined, maybe how they even joined in membership, uh, but it doesn't say much of anything else. And, it's, and I'm not saying this to depress you, but 100, year, 100 years from now, few people, if anyone, are going to remember us. Look through the list of the people that are listed here in Nehemiah 11 and 12, and if you're fortunate, there may be a couple names here and there that jump out at you. So if we don't recognize any of the names and probably have difficulty even pronouncing half of the names. Why are they important? Why do we even bother giving them attention? Well, the reason is, is because all of these people on this list were ordinary, everyday people like you and me. And God loves ordinary, everyday people like you and me. As a matter of fact, God has chosen to do his work and accomplish his plans through ordinary, everyday people like you and me. If I was God, and be thankful that I'm not, I would have only chosen the best and the brightest. I would have only chosen those that are extremely gifted, those that are extremely talented to execute my plan. But I'm not God. If Nehemiah was in charge... He would have chosen all the skilled laborers from all across the world to rebuild the temple and the wall there around Jerusalem. But God was the one that was in charge, and God chose to use simple, ordinary, everyday people to build the temple, to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 31, it describes just the way that God's plan works. I want you to listen to these verses in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 1. 26 to 31, it says, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. God has chosen to accomplish his will through the use of weak and frail vessels like you and me. 
He's chosen to blow the minds of the so-called wise of this world and use simple people that don't pass the eye test. He's chosen to use people whose names will never appear in history books and he's chosen these people to build his eternal kingdom. That's what he did with this group here in Nehemiah chapters 11 and 12. And that's what he's doing 25 centuries later here at Latham Bible Baptist Church. Now this long passage, and we're not going to read every single verse, but this long passage shows us that God has chosen to work his plan through ordinary people. And I think we see it in three distinct ways. First, we see the calling of ordinary people. The calling of ordinary people. Look back at the first two verses here in Nehemiah chapter 11. And the rulers of the people dwelt at Jerusalem. The rest of the people also cast lots to bring one of ten to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city, and nine parts to dwell in other cities. And the people blessed all the men that willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. So back in Nehemiah chapter 7, when the wall around Jerusalem was finally completed, Nehemiah made a comment in chapter 7 and verse number 4 that sheds some light on what we see happening here in our passage in chapter 11. Now, if you want to turn back a couple pages to what we see there in Nehemiah chapter 7 and verse number 4 to see it for yourself, this is what he said. Nehemiah 7 verse 4. Now the city was large and great, but the people were few therein, and the houses were not builded. The city was large and great, but the people were few therein, and the houses were not builded. So at that point, they had just finished building the wall around Jerusalem, but their work was nowhere close to being done. Jerusalem was uninhabited for the most part. When all the workers went back to their farms, basically the city was deserted. The temple was rebuilt. The wall around the city was rebuilt, but there was basically next to no one living in the city. The houses were, were not built. The houses and the infrastructure were still in ruins. Now somebody needed to live there to make it a, a viable and a thriving city, to re rejuvenate the city. That, that was the problem. The question before them now was, how are they going to go about solving the problem? How are they going to get people who have rebuilt the temple, rebuilt the wall, to now start the rebuilding process again and build homes for themselves there in Jerusalem and actually stay there and live? How do you get people who had made their home beyond the reaches or outside of the city limits to leave their home and to start fresh inside the city limits, inside the wall. It wasn't just a matter of moving to the city, but moving to a city that was still in ruins. Your house in the country is nice. Your family's been enjoying it for two or three generations. But now I want you to move to Jerusalem and to start restoring a giant pile of rocks that now you can live in and call that home. Doesn't that sound appealing? Some of us are trying to get out of the city and be where we can kind of stretch our arms a little bit. And now the task is, well, let's leave, you know, this, this place where we have, you know, tons and tons of acres and come to where you can hear the neighbor's phone ringing and the people down below you watching Wheel of Fortune 
Let's, let's come where we're all on top of each other. Not a lot of people are going to sign up for that. So there's a lot of convincing that they're having to do to get people to move. And so here are, here are some people that have been well-established outside of the walls of Jerusalem. They probably have farms that they're going to have to give up and basically give up their, their form of income. And while you're at it, the thought is, you know, you're going to have to come up with a new way to make up your living. Who would want to do that? But what we notice is that everybody didn't need to pick up and move. They only needed 10%, 10% of the people to leave their homes and come into the walls of Jerusalem and rebuild. Look at, again what it says in verse number 1 and 2 of chapter 11. It says, And the rulers of the people dwelt at Jerusalem. The rest of the people also cast lots to bring one of ten to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city, and nine parts to dwell in other cities. There are already, majority of them are already living out, outside of the city. It says in verse 2, And the people blessed all the men that willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. So they only needed 10%. God isn't asking for everyone to go. He was basically only asking for a tithe, if you want to look at it that way. So that's who he called. There are several things that we can take notice about this call. The call wasn't anything spectacular. They didn't look for a miraculous sign from God or, or listen for bells and whistles to go off before they acknowledged that God was leading them to do this. And do you know what they did to decide who would be the one to give up their home outside of the city and come and live in the city? It says there in verse number, verse number one that they cast lots. It says the rest of the people also cast lots. Now we can get into a long discussion about casting lots, but the point is that God called these people to their different positions using some very ordinary means. Now, I have no doubt that God can call people in all sorts of different ways. Uh, we, we, we see this in, in our own lives. I think that rarely God might choose to be really dramatic about it. But if anything... That is the exception to the rule. Most of the time what we see is that God calls ordinary people using some very ordinary methods. He might call you through a nomination, like what we've done over the past few weeks. He might call you through the use of a, a vacant position that you hear about here at church. Most of the time, God calls everyday people through very unspectacular means. The call was unspectacular and it involves a little bit of sacrifice. As I said before, can you imagine being asked to leave your established home outside of the city walls to come and move to a new place that is in shambles and you have to rebuild? So let's list off all of the advantages, though, of moving to Jerusalem. You're going to lose your income. You're going to lose your well-established house. You're going to have to live in rubble while you're getting this home built for yourself and getting it all fixed up. Now, I would say that that calls for a little bit of sacrifice, wouldn't you? Some of us don't like it when we're renovating just a small part of our house, but imagine your entire house is a big, giant renovation project. Imagine having to live in a construction zone for the better part of a year. And with that sacrifice came willingness and here's what I find amazing about this. Everybody understood that the sacrifice was needing to be made. This goes way back to the way that they had to choose who went and who stayed. 
Now, Scripture tells us, it says there in verse number 11, it says, And the rulers of the people dwelt in Jerusalem. The rest of the people also cast lots. Now, the casting of lots was a practice that was accepted as basically divine direction, with which all the people had, whether willingly or unwillingly, they all had to comply. And this is what we see them doing here in verse number 1 of chapter 11. And there was much work that needed to be done for the Lord, and the people were getting on board. Every one of them got on board to make a sacrifice to move to Jerusalem should it fall to them. While it may, not have, it may not have been everyone's first choice to leave their family home, to come and to live in the city of Jerusalem and have to rebuild and start from scratch, they were all willing to do that. And those who were chosen by lot understood their calling and they followed it. And because of that, we're told in verse number two that everyone celebrated. Notice again what it says. It says, and the people blessed all the men that willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. They celebrated and they were and blessed those that were faithful to go. God calls ordinary people. His call is rarely spectacular, but it does involve sacrifice. And there is cause for celebration when everyone recognizes that God is calling us to do something that is great and we're willing to do what he's called us to do. That's how God works his plan. He works it by calling ordinary people like you and me. But second, he also works it by putting ordinary people in the right place. He puts ordinary people in the right place. Look at verse number three. It says, Now these are the chief of the province that dwelt in Jerusalem. But in the cities of Judah dwelt everyone in his possession in their cities, to wit Israel the priests and the Levites and the Nethanims and the children of Solomon's servants. God, God works by putting ordinary people in the right place. Uh, no, jump down to verse number 20 also of chapter 11. It says, 11 verse 20, And the residue of Israel, of the priests and the Levites, were in all the cities of Judah, every one in his inheritance. God works his plan through the placement of ordinary people. Verse 3 that we just read introduces a list of all the people who packed up their belongings and would move to Jerusalem. These are the people that gave up their homes outside of the city, and then they would come and they would live in the city of Jerusalem, basically starting from scratch. That list runs all the way down through verse number 19 of chapter 11. Verse number 20, which I just read, introduces another list of people who were living outside of the wall of Jerusalem. Remember, 90% could basically stay where they were. All they needed was the 10% of the people to come within the city limits. And those 10% are mentioned there in verses 4 through 19. And the rest of them are listed, the 90% are mentioned after verse number 20. Now here's what would happen. I think we see this in most churches today. If most churches were to come up with a list of names, I think what we would see as far as how the work is getting done you'd still see this 90-10 division among the people. 10% of the group would be the workers, and what we often see is that 90% are the watchers. Now, we can argue as to whether those percentages line up exactly in this church, but I think as a general rule, not necessarily a rule, but what generally ends up happening is that the majority of the people in church are watchers more than they are workers. That's the way that was happening here in Nehemiah chapters 11 and 12. Even though 90% of them were outside of Jerusalem, they all had a place of service, though. 
God doesn't ever call anyone to sit on the sidelines and be a watcher for their lives. Christianity is not a spectator sport. Someone has compared the scene at most churches today to a football game. At a football game, you have, at one point, 22 people on the field. 11 on each team, each of them badly in need of rest. And you can have upwards of 65,000 people in the stands badly in need of exercise. That is not how God's work is intended to be. In God's work, there is place for everybody to work and to get busy. Not everyone was called to live in the city limits of Jerusalem. For some reason, God only called 10% of the people to live there. But he still had places. He still had positions. He still had opportunities for the other 90% of the people that were living outside of the walls of Jerusalem. There were jobs for everyone. And as you look through these lists of names, you can see what some of the jobs were. And notice that there was one overall leader of the people, and that was Nehemiah. That was his specific calling. He was basically the governor that God commissioned. God gifted him. God gave him a very specific temperament. And God gave him the position that he held. There's also one preacher, and you go back to the previous book, it's a man by the name of Ezra. He was the preacher. His gifts and temperaments were, were different than how God had blessed Nehemiah, but this was Ezra's calling. There's also a handful of, of special positions that I call. Look back at verse number three here in Nehemiah chapter 11. It says, now these are the chief of the province that dwelt in Jerusalem. But in the cities of Judah dwelt everyone in his possession in their cities to wit, Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the Nethanims, and the children of Solomon's servants. The children of Solomon's servants. There were priests, there were Levites to do the work of the temple. There were also this group called Nethanims who were temple servants. Now these people had to do some of the menial tasks that needed to be done around the temple. Uh, They were a certain order of men who were wholeheartedly devoted to the service of God. And they're taking care of a lot of the behind the scenes work that needed to get done on a daily basis there in the temple. We're even told, and jump down to verses 22 and 23, that there were singers. Notice what it says in verses 22 and 23 of chapter 11. It says, The overseer also of the Levites at Jerusalem was Uzi, the son of Bani, the son of Hashabiah, the son of Madaniah, the son of Micah. Of the sons of Asaph, the singers were over the business of the house of God. For it was the king's commandment concerning them that a certain portion should be for the singers due for every day. So we're seeing all these different groups of people. And I love that it says there about the singers, they were over the business of the house of God. There were so many kinds of little special positions here and there that needed to be done. And God called people, ordinary people, to fill these positions. But was that it? Are those the only people that were to serve? Well, no. In reality, that was just still a very, very small portion of the people that were needing to be working. Because the vast majority of the people were just quiet, normal, everyday workers. They didn't have titles. They didn't have positions. But when something needed to be done, they were available. They brought in the money. They bought in the manpower, even though only a handful of jobs had specific titles to go along with them. There was no such thing as an insignificant job. Everyone was needed because God had a place for everyone just like he has a place for everyone in this church today. There are a few positions in our church that have biblical qualifications and requirements. Those are the pastor and the deacons. Beyond that, we have opportunities for everyone to serve. 
The point is that everyone is important. Every single one of you are important. God has blessed every one of you in a very unique way. And he expects you to use those gifts and talents, not when you leave this building, but when you're here. Definitely when you're out of this building, but when you're here as well. God's work is done through everyone. God doesn't call any of his children to sit in the stands and to do nothing while the work here around the church is being done by a few that are given titles. You may not be able to do all that you once were able to do, but there is still service for the Lord that you can do. When God saves you, he brings you into his church. His church is manifested here on earth as this local body of believers. He gives you gifts in order to build up, to edify one another in this church. And those that make up the church are supposed to be edified as every member of this body is working together in beautiful and perfect harmony. When you sit on the sidelines and don't exercise the gifts that God has given, it certainly doesn't help. But in most cases, it can lead to actually crippling the entire body of believers because we're only as strong as our weakest link. Everyone has a place. Everyone has a work to do. Jesus saved you and placed you in this church for a reason. The reason is that he works his plans through the placement of everyday people just like you and me. He also works his plan through the ongoing work of everyday people. Now, skip down to chapter 12 and look at verse number 1 of Nehemiah chapter 12. As we see that God works his plan through the ongoing work of everyday people. It says, Now these are the priests and the Levites that went up with Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, Sariah, Jeremiah, Ezra. The verse stops there and it goes on to have a list of names in this section that is different than the last two listed names that we saw. In the last two, it gave us a list of names who were living at the time, uh, and it was a list of people that were currently going to move to Jerusalem, and then a list of people that were currently going to stay outside the wall, but here, the list is a little different. First, it's a list of only priests and Levites, and second, it's a historical list. It's a gene genealogical list. It's almost like a family tree for all the priests and the Levites from the first return of exiles up until this point here in Nehemiah chapter 12. And he starts with the priests and he starts with the Levites who returned to Jerusalem under Zerubbabel and under Jeshua. And then Ezra brings us all the way up until this present time in Nehemiah chapter 12. And that means that the call of God was an ongoing call. They came back to Jerusalem after this Babylonian captivity, after Cyrus made the decree that they could come back. They came back in waves. Nehemiah and Ezra didn't necessarily come back right away. They, they came back at different times. But when they finally came back, and by the time that we read here in Nehemiah chapter 12, many years have passed from when Cyrus first made a decree back in the first chapter of Ezra. And so here in verse number 1 of chapter 12, he's actually kind of giving us a historical lesson of who came back first and then who's presently there now still living. You see, everything that God is, is doing is an ongoing call. Even here at Latham Bible Baptist Church, do you know that the work and the ministry of Latham Bible Baptist Church didn't die with the founders of this church? Did you know that? It started with them, and it's continued ever since this church was founded. What God is doing here at this church will not end with even you or me. Because 100 years from now, 
should the Lord tarry, and should the ministry here continue, each person that has served here throughout the years has been used by God to accomplish His will. You have no idea how doing your job today, as small, as insignificant as you may think it is, is having an impact on the work that is going to continue to be done even 100 years from now. When Zerubbabel saw the altar being placed in the middle of the temple, all the way back in the book of Ezra, where the temple foundation was supposed to be, do you think that he could have envisioned what the completed wall would have looked like? The first thing they did when the first remnant came back to Jerusalem is they began rebuilding the temple by rebuilding the altar first. The wall didn't start. The building of that didn't start until the temple was finished. And even that, it didn't happen until several years after the temple was finished building. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua were the ones that essentially came on the scene first and began the process of rebuilding the altar and then the temple. Do you think they could have envisioned what everything would have looked like once the temple was, was rebuilt and once the wall was finally rebuilt to where, the point, where we see it here in Nehemiah chapter 12? The altar being set up. But the temple still to be built around it and everything surrounding the altar was in rubble. There was so much work at that point that still needed to be done. And everything was still in rubble. But everything had been that way for so long. Do you really think that when Zerubbabel looked upon the completed altar, that he could envision what the completed wall and the rest of Jerusalem would have looked like years from then once it was all restored? When he took time to consider the workers that were around and at his disposal to complete the building of the wall as well as everything else that needed to be rebuilt and restored in Jerusalem, it would have been very hard for him to envision everything getting done because he wasn't exactly surrounded by a whole bunch of stonemasons and architects and engineers. He was surrounded by some people that hadn't even picked up a shovel for in their entire life. And here these ordinary, everyday people are instructed to come and to help, building, help build the wall. And you know how long it took them to build that wall around Jerusalem? Which remnants of it are still in existence. If you go to Israel today, you can see remnants of that same wall still standing today. Do you know how long it took them to build that wall around Jerusalem? Nehemiah chapter 7 tells us. You know what? How long it took? Anyone? Cheat. Just look back a few chapters. Please. Humor me. Anyone know? 52 days. 52 days to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem, which, as I mentioned, remnants of that wall are still standing today. 52 days. Thank the Lord they didn't have to get a building permit for that. 52 days. And these weren't skilled workers. These were ordinary, everyday people who maybe didn't know the first thing about building. And God used these people to do this work, to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem, and they got it done in 52 days. And what I didn't tell you, hopefully you already know, is that the entire time they're building, they're getting pushback from the enemy who is outside the walls. They're mocking them, saying that if a fox would run up against the wall, he's going to knock it down because that's how weak that wall is. Well, who's laughing now as portions of that wall are still standing? Who gets the glory out of all of that? God does. 
God gets the glory because he used ordinary, everyday people like you and me to accomplish something great. No one looks at the group of people and says, wow, these people really pulled it off. Would you look at what these people did? We need to hire them to do our bathroom, David. 52 days? I mean, that would be fantastic. But God uses these ordinary, everyday people to show and to magnify his glory in such an awesome way. I don't think that Zerubbabel could have envisioned all of that happening as he's looking around and seeing the people that are there, the workers that are, he's going to be able to use. But by the time that three generations passed, he's probably thinking that everything is going to, everything is going to crumble and fall. But praise the Lord that God would work in ways in which we don't even believe, we don't even comprehend. When Zerubbabel took time to consider the workers that were around the building, as well as all that needed to be restored in Jerusalem, I think it would have been hard to envision everything getting done. The majority of those people were just everyday people, not the skilled laborers that we would have hired, people who were untrained for such an extensive building project. But what would have happened if all the ordinary people, all the everyday people around Zerubbabel and Jeshua would have sat back and been spectators the entire time? What would have happened had they not heard God's call and gotten busy doing the work that God had called them to do? What would have happened if they had been satisfied with just setting up the altar and building the temple? Well, by the time that those three generations would have passed, everything they would have done would have crumbled and just turned to dust and there would be nothing left. By the time that all that is done, everything would have been lost. But God's work continues. God's work is ongoing. God's work continues to build and grow and it marches on. What, has done even just a, a, what was done even just a generation ago stands on, uh, will not stand on its own. It must either be built on it or it will, cr or it will crumble. And the only way for what was done in the past to be built on is for ordinary and everyday people to keep building upon it. And I can't help but draw the comparison between the people that God called and the wall that they had just finished building. I don't know if God intended this to be an object lesson, but I think it was. If you look at the material that the wall was built out of, the Bible describes all of that material was as being called out from what it had been before. All the wood was just trees before. All the stone were just rocks that were literally on the ground. All the mortar and, and brick was just dirt, but it was called out from the way that it was. And when it was called out, it was shaped and it was molded and it was hewn to take on different textures and different appearances. It was reformed and changed for a different use. And then those raw materials that had been shaped, that had all been molded and, and were hewn, were taken, um, were taken and placed in just the right spots around that wall. Some were joined together to build just normal sections of that wall. Some were used to, uh, to build a gate in that wall. Some were joined to make some really magnificent towers. But they all came together to build what became the wall around Jerusalem. Despite the differences of each of the pieces of raw material that were used, they were brought, all of them together, for a purpose. And when they were all fitly framed together, they accomplished that purpose. The wall was built and built in 52 days. I'm going to reveal something to you about myself. Maybe you've already known this. Maybe you look at me and you say, well, that makes sense. When I go into the kitchen while Ruthie is making dinner, 
I can look at all the different ingredients that she has on the counter, and I look at that and I think, what on earth are you making? Because I look at all the different ingredients and she'll even say what she's making, and I say, I don't see it. I don't see how you're going to take all these different ingredients and make what you're saying you're going to make. I just don't have that kind of vision. She uses these various ingredients that I may deem as questionable and even wonder how they're going to be used or how they're going to be added into what she is saying is going to be mixed together and to make some good, delicious dish that we're going to eat for dinner. And while I can't see how it's all going to end up, while I've been skeptical at times as to how all the different ingredients, which I would hesitate to use at times, are all going to mesh together and make something very tasty, I've never eaten a dish for my wife that I haven't enjoyed. I find myself being truly thankful that my wife is a good cook because if it were up to me, then we'd be eating cereal every night. So thankfully, for the kids' sake, she can cook. Nehemiah, along with the remnant in Israel, were putting pieces together from scraps that were just rubble, lying around. Basically, he used anything and everything at his disposal. Everything, including probably the kitchen sink. And on top of all that, again, these weren't handymen, per se. These were your average run-of-the-mill people. And what made it all work wasn't that the people just got lucky at the end of the 52 days and what they built just happened to look like a wall. What made it all work was that God was the one who was at work through these unskilled laborers with all the resources at their disposal. They were willing and available to be used by God. So where are we tonight? Where are we tonight? Are we fitly framed together. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 19 to 22, I want you to listen to what the Bible says. It says, Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And notice what it says. It says, In whom all the building fitly framed together Groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Are we, as a body of believers here at Latham Bible Baptist Church, fitly framed together and growing into a holy temple in the Lord? And if not, why aren't we? Maybe that, maybe it's because we're waiting for somebody else to do what God has been calling us to do. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 18 to 20, the Bible says, But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it hath pleased him. God has placed us where we are. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. God has placed every single believer here at this church for a specific reason, for a specific time, for a specific purpose. But we're a member, a small member of this entire body. We have a great task ahead of us. We're called to a great mission. Jesus has saved you, and God has placed you here for a reason. You may be an ordinary, everyday person like me, but you're just the kind of person that God uses. Just be willing to be used by God. There is a place for you. There's a work for every single one of us to do. God has gifted you to accomplish that work. So the question is, are you going to do it? 
Are we going to do it? Would you bow with me in prayer tonight? Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, that we're able to come before you, Lord, and take a, a quick look at some of the laborers that you used, Lord, to rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the wall. Lord, I pray that we would understand just how important the work is here in this ministry at Latham Bible Baptist Church. Lord, that you've called each and every one of us to serve in, in different capacities, using the gifts and the talents that you have equipped us with, Lord, to be a blessing to those around us, Lord, and to edify the body as a whole. Lord, show us ways in which we can be used by you and give us the, the, the boldness and the courage, Lord, to maybe step out in faith and to broaden our comfort zone a little bit and to do something, Lord, that maybe we haven't done before, but we've sensed that you've called us to do for some time now. Lord, may we understand that the work is going to be done effectively only when every part of the body is operating in perfect harmony. Lord, use every single one of us, and may we be used for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.